All right, are you guys ready to talk about politics this weekend? Amen. I'd rather keep talking about sex. So if you enjoyed the last series called Unprotected Sex, or you found it helpful, maybe not enjoyable, but helpful, instructional in how to lead a pure life, how to talk to your kids, how to help each other out and stay accountable, you can go to our resource center and you can order uh, the DVDs and uh, we'll have them available for you uh, in the upcoming weekend. So make sure you do that. I don't know what the price is, but I think it'll be well worth it. And then you'll have that resource uh, with you. And if you're at the 95th campus, you can go into the uh, gathering area, and there you can also go to our little book table, and they'd be happy to take your orders there as well. All right? Now we can talk about politics. Not really. What I want to talk about is God. And I want to talk about what God would say to the candidates, and not just to the candidates. This isn't just a message about our politicians, but what does God want to say to you and to me? What does God want to say to us about our own lives? Because all of us have a sphere of leadership and a sphere of influence. And it's important that we know how to exercise our own authority, our own influence over and toward others. Whether we're talking about school, in the workplace, in our families, in our community, wherever else that might be. But obviously, as we get ready for this election, it is important for us to talk about, you know, what does God, what would God say to the candidates? What does God already have to say in his word to those who seek leadership? Now, you've all heard about him. He's the wisest man, it is said, who ever lived, talking about Solomon, Solomon was the son of David, and he followed his father to the throne of Israel. David had ruled for 40 years. And though David was a man after God's own heart, David was far from being a perfect man. And unfortunately, during his rule and reign, there was scandal, sexual scandal. There was murder. There was treason. And though David repented of his sin and God forgave him, There were many years that David had to endure the bitter consequences of his wrong choices, his bad actions. The question that remained now was, what would Solomon do? Would Solomon follow his father, not just in the positive things that his dad did, but would he follow his father in the mistakes that his dad made? Or would Solomon learn from his father's mistakes and do what was right? Would Solomon listen to God and rule the nation to receive blessing and success? Will our leaders, as we think about not just these upcoming, uh, the upcoming election, but elections in the future at both a, a national, state, and local level, will our leaders lead us as a nation, as a state, as a city toward the blessings of God, toward success? Or will they lead us down a pathway that invites God's judgment rather than God's blessings? What is it that God wants to say to all leaders, not just in our nation, but throughout the world? What is that message he wants them to hear. I think we can find it throughout this series, and especially this weekend, when we turn to the story found in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And so if you'll open your Bibles there, and uh, turn open to 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, if you have your chair Bible, you are welcome to do that. I'm not sure, though. It's page 27. 
That sounds like Genesis someplace, all right? So 1 Kings, all right? Get to 1 Kings chapter 3 with me, all right? 1 Kings chapter 3. And I just want to start reading this story as we look at young Solomon's life. It says in verse 1, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship, for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. So that's why they're worshiping at these different places. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. Now that's not put there just to say it, all right? The writer wants you to know that Solomon had a special relationship with God, that he sincerely loved God. And he followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Why? Because there was no central place of worship yet. The temple hadn't been built. Verse 4, the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. Well, what made Gibeon so important? That's where the tabernacle that the Israelites worshipped in during their time of the Exodus, that's where the tabernacle had been left. The Ark of the Covenant had been brought to Jerusalem by David, but it was in a tent. And everyone's waiting for that moment when it's all put together there in Jerusalem. It says, so the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. You talk about a barbecue. Wow. And on those 1,000 burnt offerings were an expression of his worship, of his praise, and his love for God. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Now, that doesn't mean that Solomon Solomon was a child or that he was childish. It's just simply his way of saying, I really knew at this, and I don't know much about being king. Verse 8, And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people and nations, so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong, for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord is pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, You have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did... I will give you a long life. Now, emerging from this text, a few others that we're going to look at, are some very important principles of what I believe God wants to say to the candidates and what he wants to say to you and me. And so I put the principle, this, these, uh, these, I put these principles in the following manner, all right? I'll get it out of my tongue yet, 
okay? So jot these down. Principle number one simply goes like this. Dear candidate, if you want to lead well, learn to bend your knee to the real ruler. Let's say it together. Dear candidate, if you want to lead well, learn to bend your knee to the real ruler. Isn't it interesting that God speaks to Solomon after Solomon has been to Gibeon and after he has sacrificed and after he has worshipped God? That's when God speaks to him. Didn't you appreciate Solomon's humility? I'm like a child. I, I, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. It's refreshing, isn't it? You see, Solomon recognized that he was not the ultimate ruler. He was not the ultimate authority. But that God was and is the ultimate ruler and the ultimate authority. And I want to suggest to you that if you want to lead well at whatever level of life you're at, whether you're in an official office like the President of the United States, the most powerful office in the world, or you're talking about being a dad or a mom at home, or in between some place, some kind of level of leadership. Understand that you will only lead well if you understand and recognize there's one over you who has greater authority. And when I keep that in my mind, when I realize that God, God has greater authority than me, it, 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 it compels me to be careful how I then exercise my authority, right? Because God is watching. God is watching me. God is watching you. God is looking at us. He's examining us to see how we handle our authority, how we handle our leadership. I love what it says in Psalm thirty-three, fourteen. Would you read this with me? The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. And that doesn't mean that God is at a distance watching us. It means like God has, has, has all the details of our life figured out. He's got the hair, or in my case, the nubs on our head, numbered. He knows every detail about our lives. And he knows every detail about our leadership. And you know what's really fascinating about God? There are no cover-ups with God. You know, we always hear about politicians and cover-ups, right? It doesn't matter what administration it is, what party it's under. We've all read about it. We've all seen it. And, you know, certain things are concealed and maybe kept from the public. And they, try, they try to keep it hidden, and then suddenly it comes out because somebody has to blurt something out. You know how that goes, right? Hello? All right, 95th, you know how it goes, right? Right? Okay. Well, listen, there's nothing that can be covered up from God. Nothing can be covered up from God. God sees every decision that's made. He sees the justice, and he also sees the injustice. And according to Paul in Romans chapter 12, he keeps meticulous detail of it. And accounts will be settled someday. That's why, you know, everybody needs to be careful that they don't get involved in leadership because there's a high accountability that we are held to as a result of that. Now, God asks a question. And the question that, that God asks Solomon is very simple. So God says to him, what do you want? Tell me what you want and, and you can have it. Wow. <laughs> That's, can you imagine? What if, God, what if God approached you and God said, hey, what do you want? What would you ask for? Money? Fame? Fortune? Better health? What is it that, that you would 
ask God for. Principle number two. I put it this way. Let's read it together. Dear candidate, what do you really want from me? Tell me and I will let you have it. Right? Tell me and I'll let you have it. Boy, why does God ask Solomon that question instead of just telling Solomon what God wants? It's because what we wish for oftentimes reveals our character. What we wish for tells a lot about our motives. And so God is giving an opportunity for Solomon to expose his true character, to expose expose his true motives. Because character counts. Character is important. And if you don't have good character, great character as a leader, you don't lead well, no matter what level you're at. And so now Solomon's character is being exposed for everyone to see and everyone to hear. God already knew Solomon's heart, but God wants this now confessed by Solomon. He wants it brought out of Solomon's life, so to speak. I wondered to myself this weekend, what uh, our president or uh, Governor Mitt Romney would answer God if God were to say to them, ask me what you want and I'll give you whatever you want. And I thought to myself, maybe they would respond, please help everybody understand that my policies work and please make my opponent disappear. <clears throat> now, before you laugh too much at that, we're now better, are we? I mean, have you ever had that thought go through your mind? If everybody would just listen to me and do as I say, it would be a better world? Let me see your hands if you ever thought that, all right? How many of you thought that this, uh, today, in fact? All right? Sure. We oftentimes think that, right? They would just listen to me. If they just do as I said. But look at Solomon. Instead of wishing for riches or fame or fortune or power, we go back to the text and he says, please help me to have an understanding heart and to know the difference between right and wrong. Verse 9. So in essence, here's what Solomon says. He says, I just want to understand the difference between what is right and wrong and to govern by what? And to govern by the right. God, I just want to know the difference between right and wrong and I want to govern by the right. Boy, that's beautiful, isn't it? In other words, God, help me to know your truth and then help me to govern according to your truth and to honor you. That brings us to principle number three. Dear candidate, the greatest wish you could ever ask for is that God would help you rule according to his eternal truth as it is revealed in his word. Help me, God, to rule, to administrate, to oversee according to your eternal word. And then I know everything is going to go well. Then I know that everything is going to work out as a result of that. There's only one truth in this world. And that truth is the word of God. 
I don't care what anybody else says or what anybody else wants to argue philosophically, politically, or whatever it is. I'm telling you, there's only one source of truth in the world. There's only one moral code in the world. And God gave that. They're not competing moral codes. You cannot have various forms and versions of the truth. There's only one truth. And so when people want to separate politics from the word of God, they're making a devastating mistake that the founders of this nation never, ever intended. For they governed out of the influence of the word of God, this moral code that the creator of the universe gave. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that and recognize that and advocate for that because it's so important. I would rather, I personally, I'm talking about me, I would rather vote for a candidate who's going to lose because they take a stand on the truth than for one who's going to win, but they're going to compromise the truth. And what's true about the candidate is true about your life and my life. How, how often are we tempted, right, to instead of take our stand on the truth in our homes, at school, at work, in our communities, we tend to want to compromise it in order to please people, in order to get along, in order to be successful, in order to be accepted. So let's not be hypocrites. Not, let's not put a standard on our our elected officials or those running for elective offices that we are not willing to live out ourselves. Amen? Amen. We need to practice what we ask them to do and not find ourselves being hypocrites as a result of that. And God God loves what Solomon says. And we, we read how God responds to him. God says, I'm, you know, I'm so pleased with your request that I'm going to actually give it to you. And as a result of that, I'm not only going to give you the ability to know right and wrong and rule from what is right, but then I'm also going to make you famous. I'm also going to bless you with riches. You are going to be a blessed man, which takes us to our fourth principle. And that is this. Say it with me. Dear candidate, Govern according to God's standards of truth, and you and your people will be blessed beyond measure. And you and your people will be blessed beyond measure. Listen, as the leader goes, so goes the nation. And you may not like what I'm about to say, but it is just human nature and it is fact. There are far more followers in the world than there are leaders. And that's why you can have a lot of people like in our own country who complain about the leadership and how bad it is and how wrong it is, etc., etc., etc. But but they're like sheep. They just they just go anyway. They just accept it and follow. Why is that? Because few are leaders, most are followers. So we have to be careful who we're following and we want to encourage and and pray for those who are leading us that they would lead us the right way because God says when you're led the right way, you are blessed as a result of it. Look at Israel. Look at Israel in the Old Testament. Whenever Israel followed God and obeyed God and honored God, their enemies were defeated, they were prosperous, and they were blessed. But had the leader disobeyed God, had the leader walked the opposite way from God, 
And not only was the leader judged, but then the nation suffered as a result of it as well. This nation was founded by its, by its quote, founding fathers. And I'm not saying they were all Christians, but it was founded on Judeo-Christian moral values and principles. And though our nation at times has, has sinned against those principles, we've not been just, we've not practiced freedom and equality. Think about those horrible days of slavery. And, and we have suffered the consequences for it then. And now, today, our injustice, our inequality, our lack of freedom. When we have followed God, when we have lined up under him, when our leaders have sought to lead by the truth, we've been blessed. We've been prospered. And there's no getting, there's no getting around that. But what's happened, and you, and you can't blame the current administration. I mean, this, we have seen our values, our morals in an erosion for years now. For years now. It's not like it just happened. You know, we've had this going on for a long, long time. It's just accelerating now. It's just accelerating now. And, and And it's a tragedy to watch it happen, to see what's happening to our nation now. The question is, are we ever, you know, when is a leader, when is a man or woman going to step into leadership at all levels? And begin to lead according to the truth. Begin to lead by conviction on the principles of our founding fathers. When is that going to happen? Part of our responsibility is to pray for that to happen. Part of our responsibility is to help make that happen. Maybe for some of us it needs to actually actually get out there and run for office. And be an example and try to do what is right and, and speak for what is right. But I'll tell you this much. It's never going to be a perfect world. And we are never going to see a a perfect leader because one does not exist. The only time this world is going to be ruled right, when this country is going to be ruled right and ruled perfectly, is when Jesus Christ comes back again and establishes his rule on earth. Then we will see perfect government. But until that day, until that day, It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard. Because there's no perfect form of government. Not even democracy is a perfect form of government. Because it's run by who? People like you and me. Sinful people like you and me. Who make poor and bad choices that unfortunately affect all of us. But someday our Lord is coming. And someday we'll get out of this mess and he's going to rule and reign. And some days I feel like he's going to come tomorrow, don't you? Some days I wish he would come tomorrow, don't you? And establish that rule and establish that reign. Well, God hears Solomon and God blesses Solomon with incredible, incredible witness, uh, wisdom. And two incidences are given us in the scriptures of, of that wisdom. One is when there are two prostitutes who come before Solomon to settle a court case. Both women had become pregnant and had children within about three days of each other. One night when they were sleeping, one of the women rolled over on her baby and suffocated the baby accidentally, and it died. She woke up in the night and realized that her baby was dead And evidently, she looked over at the other woman and saw her laying there with her baby healthy and alive cuddled in her arms. And somehow she went over there and switched the babies out. 
went back to sleep. When the unsuspecting mother woke up in the morning, she went to feed her baby and realized the baby was dead and lifeless. But when she examined the baby closer, she realized that's not my baby. That's the other woman's baby. She's taken my baby. That's how they ended up before Solomon. Each woman claiming that the baby that was alive was theirs. They didn't have DNA testing back then. What was Solomon to do? Solomon called for a sword to be brought in. He told one of his uh, uh, atten- uh, attenders in the, in the courtroom there to split the live baby in two, to give one piece to one woman and the other piece to the other woman. Immediately, the real mother cried out to Solomon. Can you imagine? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Please take my baby. Take this child and, and let the other woman have it. And Solomon knew in an instance who the real mom was. And he awarded the child to her and, his, and word of his wisdom spread. When you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 10, you see how far it spread. Turn over there, if you will, please. 1 Kings chapter 10. And uh, it spreads as far as Ethiopia and to the queen of Sheba. She hears how smart a guy he is, and she takes a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And uh, she comes armed with the most difficult questions that she can imagine asking the wisest man in the whole world. And she asks him her hard questions, and he answers all of them for her, completely for her. And she is so amazed at how well he answers the questions that it says in verse 6, she exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord's eternal love for Israel has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Wow, don't you love that? What a testimony to Solomon. What a testimony. I mean, she recognizes you're not just, it's not coming from you, Solomon. Wow, look what God has done for you. And man, it is blessed to live in this nation. I wish I lived in this nation. Okay, principle number five goes like this. Dear candidate, if you'll always do the right thing, other leaders leaders will respect you. And what? And your enemies will fear you. If you always do the right thing, if you rule righteously, if you follow God's standards... Other leaders will respect you, and your enemies will fear you. That was true in the case of Israel, and that's true today as well. For those nations, for those people who seek to honor God and honor his truth, they put themselves in a place where God can bless them. And when a leader does that, and a community does that, it, it draws God's favor. And when we have done that as a nation, it has drawn God's favor. I love what it says in Psalm 96, verse 7. We read these words. In Psalm 96, verse 7, it says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. 
Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. He will judge all peoples fairly. When we, when we rule and govern and administrate in the right way, others respect us. Our enemies fierce. When we give glory to God and his truth, others respect us. Our enemies fear us. Now, I wish I could, I could be here this weekend and tell you and tell our 95th campus that Solomon lived happily ever after and all of Israel with him. But I can't. I can't tell you that because, because he messed up. Solomon, this man of, of great wisdom, begins his decline when, according to Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, in his book, Biblical Literacy, says that Solomon started marrying all these women of other kings and princes. And when he married them to create political alliances, you know what he did? He then allowed them to bring their their false religion with them to Israel. And he established for them all over the mountaintops and hillsides little uh, worship centers for them in order to worship their various gods. And that was something that God absolutely detested and had warned the kings of Israel not to do, not to ever, ever do. But Solomon did it. And it would have been one thing if he had tried to evangelize them and influence them toward God. But the sad truth is, they ended up influencing him. And pretty soon Solomon is not only sacrificing to Yahweh, he doesn't give up worshiping Yahweh, God. But now he's also sacrificing and worshiping all these pagan idols as well. And as the leader goes, what? So goes the people, and they begin to do the same thing. And that takes us to our next principle, which simply puts it this way. Dear candidate, the day you mock God is the day that judgment begins. The day that you mock God is the day that judgment begins. Solomon, who starts out as this very humble man, who wants God's wisdom, now now begins to be filled with pride and arrogance and becomes overtly fond of money He begins to raise the taxes on the people for his great projects. He even begins to enslave some of the people to serve his own needs and his own concerns. And he withdraws from God's blessings and he invites God's judgment instead. And what happened to Solomon happens to every leader in every nation who rebels against God, who defies God's truth. And we've seen that happen in our nation. We have moved away from morality and honoring the truth of God to embracing immorality and dishonoring the truth of God. We've taken the knowledge that God has given us and we've not just used it for good, but we have found ways to use it for evil as well. And in all of that, we've invited God's judgment. And our founding fathers... And those who've gone before us warned us long ago, don't depart from the truth. Don't depart from these moral principles. 
I wanted to read to you something I pulled out of the paper some time ago. Uh, it appeared as, a, as an advertisement, actually by Hobby Lobby. All right, a little shout out for Hobby Lobby. And, uh, and, and they pulled out quotes by some of our various leaders. And I, I just wanted to read a couple of them for you. Uh, this one comes from Benjamin Franklin. He says, I've lived, sir. And I'm not saying these people are necessarily Christians, but they respected God and his truth. He says, I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing, <clears throat> excuse me, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. That God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We've been assured in the sacred writings that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I firmly believe this. Now, this is Benjamin Franklin. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Here's a quote by a guy named Jedediah Morse, patriot and educator called the father of American geography. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness, which mankind now enjoys. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present Republican forms of government and all blessings which flow from them must fall with them. That's what we're experiencing now in our nation. And of all people, Thomas Jefferson, who kind of wanted to cut the Bible apart and pull out the parts he liked and get rid of the rest that he didn't, at least he honored, at least he recognized this. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Wow. Those are warnings. When Alexander de Tocqueville came from France to find out what made America great, do you know what he decided made America great? He says, I visited America's churches and I discovered what makes America great is that America is good. Good in the sense that they follow, they preach, they practice the truth of the sacred scriptures. That last part's a paraphrase. And You know, we have moved and are moving quickly away from that. Next principle. Dear candidate, failure to lead according to the truth will lead to civil unrest. You need to mark that one out. It'll lead to civil unrest. You know that at the end of Solomon's reign... The people couldn't stand him anymore because of what he had done and how the nation was now in an economic free fall and people were were in a hard and difficult way. And when Solomon goes off the scene, his son Rehoboam comes to the throne. And when Rehoboam comes to the throne, you had the equivalent of the Israeli spring. People began to riot. People began to say, we'll not bend our knees to you. We're not going to honor you. You're not, we're not going to let you treat us the way your father treated us. And it's a tense moment that led to civil war and the splitting of Israel, north and south. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Wow. Came across another interesting quote. And this one by a Supreme Court justice. Listen to what he says here. 
James Wilson, signer of both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, original justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Human law must rest its authority ultimately upon the authority of that law which is divine. Far from being rivals or enemies, religion and law are twin sisters, friends and mutual assistants. Indeed, these two sciences run into each other. Joseph Story, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, father of American jurisprudence, said, One of the beautiful boasts of our municipal jurisprudence is that Christianity is a part of the common law. There never has been a period in which the common law did not recognize Christianity as lying at its foundations. I verily believe Christianity is necessary to the support of a civil society. That is, if you remove Christianity, society becomes uncivil. It becomes chaotic. And when you move away from the truth of God and everyone now becomes their own truth, you invite anarchy. You invite lawlessness. And when there's a vacuum, somebody, something has to step in. And who always steps in? Government has to step in. And then it's the governing mindset, it's the governing religion, the governing philosophy that takes over. And there's no such thing as moral neutrality, right? There's no such thing as being morally neutral. I believe in separation of church and state, but I believe the nation was founded on biblical principles, and we are to influence our government with those Christian principles. The fathers of our country said, if you back away from that, you lose the greatness of the nation, But what it also teaches us is if you back away from that, you lose the greatness of the nation. Something has to replace those principles. And that is the battle. That is the battle at the heart of our nation right now. It's what is going to be substituted for that. And all you have to do right now is look around our world. Look around our world. And let me ask you a question. How is the world functioning when it rejects the truth of God. How are things in Europe? How are things in other nations where God's word, God's truth has been rejected and man has implemented his own philosophy and his own mindset? Is it better? How are things in our nation? Are they better? What's the root cause? Moving away from God. And so my last my last principle is simply this. It's the question that was asked to begin with. Dear candidate, What do you really want from me? Tell me, and I will let you have it. And if we say to God, and our leaders say to God, we want you, we want your truth, we want to rule and govern by your truth, then God will bless us. But listen carefully. If we say to God, we don't want you, don't bother me, I don't want to govern according to your principles, we'll create our own principles, guess what? God will let us have it. And that in itself will bring judgment. Which way is it going to be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. We ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us in these critical moments of our nation when we don't want to castigate our leaders be angry at them and to say wrongful things about them and toward them oh God and malign them and 
be like so much that we hear in our culture right now, hatred. God, we know the answer isn't a man. We know the answer is you. But we know, Father, that unless man listens to you, we're in trouble. We're already in trouble. And so we're asking, God, that in these days you would help those of us who are your followers not to compromise the truth in our own lives, to practice these principles ourselves, and, God, to pray our hearts out for our leaders locally, nationally, that they would open their eyes and move their hearts and minds to you and bend their knees and seek to lead according to your truth because it's the only way, it's the only hope for us, O oh God. And Lord, as we make decisions about who we vote for, help us, Lord, to think through these truths and make wise decisions and careful decisions, knowing there is no perfect leader. But God, I thank you that as pitiful as our world is and as worried as I am and I trust we are about our own nation, I thank you that you are in control. That what we're experiencing isn't something new to you. You warned us this would happen. And I thank you, O oh God, that someday we will be able to shout together that our God lives, that our God rules, that our God reigns. God, we want you to live in us. We want you to live through us. God, we don't want to depend on government. God, we want to show the nations. We want to show our world the difference that Jesus Christ can make. And so, God, we're not going to wait for the government to save us. Jesus already has. And we're going to proclaim that message as long as you give us life and breath. For you are the hope. You are the hope of this world of this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like praising God, let's stand and let's worship the one who never fails us.